Hello and welcome to episode four, four of Savoir Affair, Superculture Review presents a Disco Elysium podcast. I think I did that sort of uh, reverse order, but I'm Reed McCarter. I'm, I'm trying to host this introduction. Uh, it's, it's not going <laughs> super well, but hopefully, you know, in about a minute from now, you'll you'll be done and we'll be on to bigger and better things. Uh, I am joined as... I have been for the last two of these by three of these. three of these. I can't count either by uh, first Kyle Kirkstall. Hello. Did I pronounce your last name right, Kyle? As real as I don't think I've ever um, said it aloud. I actually found out recently that I might've been pronouncing it wrong. I met like a Belarusian person and I don't even know what's true anymore. So I'm just going to say, yes, you did a great job. All right. Let's talk about this incredible game, Disco Elysium. Um, let's start. We could talk about Ruby and the shootout to start out with, because we didn't really get to that last ep. And yeah. I want to cover that. Yeah. So we should say that over the last three, we've we've made sort of like not like linear progress going through <laughs> talking about the plot. But at this point, we are sort of circling subjects that have to do with uh, how much would you say the last quarter last fifth? yeah last third last third. third yeah third of the game so and as always too um if you haven't played the game and you don't want to know what's happening in it it's weird that you started listening to this on episode four but uh just <laughs> don't don't listen to this i guess or listen to it and then play it and maybe your mind will be enriched <laughs> yeah so yeah ruby you want to start off there yeah so ruby okay let's see if i get this right and please correct me if i'm wrong but ruby is actually you don't even really see her uh in the game except for once basically yeah um and like a good portion of the opening parts of the game are spent hot on ruby's trail trying to figure out who she is um, trying to figure out what she's all about you're kind of following her trail um she's she's known as like this kind of almost like a smuggler type deal she's like involved in some potential like drug trade ring that you're trying to figure out you're searching her you know you find her lori and you look inside and you start finding all this stuff and you find all these clues you're asking the hardy boys but they because she worked with them a lot and she was like kind of basically they're a real ringleader, right? Not actually Titus. Is that is that correct? I think it, it feels like it's kind of like a vying for power thing because she's obviously not there because she kind of got in maybe deep shit. You don't really know. But I think Titus still is kind of the muscle and she's kind of like the brains right. a bit. Yeah. I think that, that's yeah, the other yeah. part. I think that at the start, you don't. You know, it's not that if you don't even meet Ruby, it's that you don't even know that Ruby exists and is like part of the puzzle. Um, it kind of like right. comes to light over, I would say about halfway through the game or so you start to learn about this other person that was kind of around at the time this guy got killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we can also talk about Classier too in here because we haven't really talked about her. Oh man. Um, Maybe. And she's one of the most interesting characters in the game, I think. So, you know, you eventually start, you know, figure out basically where she is. And you you go into, you know, like this cave, not it's like the basement of this like old industrial building and you find her 
and she has this machine that like makes you fucking lose sanity <laughs> basically slowly yeah it's called like a um, um it's called like a void com- no a, a pale compressor or something the idea i think it's implied that like it's a thing that ships use in the pale to kind of like communicate with each other through the pale so somehow she's like funneled that down into this single device and she's just like pointing it at you and it's just like fuck off yeah and so you can die there uh a lot of people died there i, I think died there i died so there so many times this that is, was the only time i died yeah. in the game uh, i think there. i died from sadness once or twice at the beginning <laughs> of the game and then not again until this and this was also the point where i think i asked you josh I was like, how far in am I? This is happening. Also, I keep dying. And you were like, you should use some of your your healing items. And you were <laughs> I was like, like, yeah, I was like, just I was like, just heal through it. And you're like, heal. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you could click on the thing to use them. I just thought that it was like filling up to a maximum and then it was just staying there. Anyway, turns out you yeah. can click on those and it heals you. But you're basically trying to take her in um, for questioning and stuff like that. But she's like dead set on not having that happen. She's already predisposed to hating you because you're a cop. And ultimately, for me at least, she ends up uh, offing herself in front of you. Mm -hmm. Did that happen for you guys? Yeah. But I feel like you can stop it. But I don't. Yeah, I but I don't know if I don't know I don't know of anybody that did. Yeah, me either. And I like I really wonder what would happen if you didn't. That's actually surprising. You know? All of us had that happen because it was definitely like a skill check. I remember that I failed. Mm-hmm. I'm racking my brain to remember if she did or not. But I think you would remember. Yeah, she just straight up shoots so. herself, she, and you're like, it's a pretty yeah. shocking moment to yeah. be honest with you. But also this this part of the story like things were ramping up escalating to yeah, a, certain a lot of point stuff's happening i think like the last the last few hours of this game from pretty much when you go to confront her onward is just thing after thing after thing is happening um well what's interesting about it is that the pacing i would i would say is actually typically very slow and even after this even the ending does not feel like yeah anything too crazy it's all it's all very like low-key sedate even like the final scenes of the game where it's like this big finale nothing reaches that shootout peak in the middle or you know two-thirds into the game you know um which i which i really like about this game where it's like the climax i feel like that's kind of a literary thing right is like having the climax be this very downplayed thing that's not like you're having entire planets tossed your way and you're fucking doing all this crazy stuff i think that was something that was also reminded me of literature in this book how it was like the ending was very like calm quiet serene but also all the ideas culminating in one place and that's where its power derived from as opposed to it being like loud and messy and intense Um, i mean it's weird it's weird though because it does kind of feel like you don't really know what the like the proper third act of the game is going to be. You you think that it's kind of going to end with this Ruby thing. And so when she kills herself, like 
I think the first thing is that yeah, that was like the first time in the game that I felt like I had just really failed. Like I think we talked on a few podcasts back about um, kind of like how everything is sort of valid and eventually you just kind of like like a little bit of like Jesus take the wheel. Um, like I'll just go with the flow sort of thing. But this Ruby dying, I guess for all of us was like, for me, it was the first time I felt like I had like really fucked up in the game. Yeah. Um, same. And I was like, shit, like the lead suspect just died. I don't even know what that means for the rest of the game because so much of the game is built up to this idea of capturing her and bringing her in. Like it, it truly feels like in that moment that all your pathways to figuring this out, just die with her being shot. Yeah. And I was halfway expecting the game to at a certain point, just because it is often pretty fine with sort of like spreading out. It's uh it's plot points to have them be, you know, something sort of important happens. And then you spend a while talking to all sorts of people and going around and like thing, things aren't clean necessarily. And I halfway expected this game to be, you know, Ruby dies and maybe you're not actually going to get a satisfying ending. Maybe you're not right. actually going to figure out who, but I think it's better that they, they do go for it, although I know there are lots of people who don't like the way it ends anyway and say it's um, or read some stuff saying the people saying that they were unhappy with the ending regardless. But it does pick up again. One thing I wanted to talk about with regards to Ruby is how, you know, I brought this up earlier, which is that she's not that big of a character in this game. You know, she she comes across this sort of like you finally found the villain like she's been hiding this whole time but when you meet her it's it's very unfulfilling because it doesn't happen the way you expect it to you don't solve the mystery by finding her and again read like you said it doesn't tie up neatly the way you kind of expect it to after you've done all this searching for such a long time after ruby um what do you make of that and ruby's character from what we know about the little that we like actually do know about her from speaking with her and i don't know to me ruby is not like the the scene with her is memorable but her as a character and, and i wonder how much of this is a product of me not remembering fully everything that happened that you talked to her about but she w wasn't as important a character to me as she was sort of a a like a spoke in, in the wheel of what was happening in right. this game. I but I wonder also if... Well, we do... So one of the ways that we do know about Ruby is through that lorry driver who is trying to cover for her. And he's like, I can't tell you anything about this chick. He's like, he's like, I, she's like yeah. my friend. Yeah. Like, I can't give away that information. She has this kind of power over people that, you know, she ha she's she builds good relationships with the people around her and it seems like everybody has a lot of respect for her she's a natural leader uh and like she also has these ideals which is why i think she's so interesting and why you really want to meet her and why you want to have these interactions with her um which ultimately i feel like factors into like why she has such a minor role ultimately in the game where when you think about like the main plot line that not that much of it revolves around her, even though a lot of it kind of does, right? Yeah, I was wondering actually, like, um, in terms of beating the game, 
I actually don't know if you need to see Ruby because if you I think he must, right? No, because if you go up into the window and Classy's room you can kind of derive where the shots came from and I don't think like what I don't really remember why I mean at the time like I felt like I had to find Ruby by like the plot but I feel like you could actually skip over her like entirely and never find her because also like I think the way Josh described finding her made it sound kind of easy but she's not like easy to get to in a sense like there's some pretty heavy skill checks um there's mm-hmm. also the, one of the, my favorite skill checks in the game that I totally failed, but would love to play again just to try it, is you can actually use your Savoir Faire to teleport to the top of the building that she's in and like go down the stairs from there. Um, I don't know if you guys did that, but there seems to be multiple ways to get into the building, but all of them are kind of like really hard checks. So mm-hmm. yeah, I did. Wait, how did you? Oh, get you in? teleported up there. He climbs I, something, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he climbs up or something. No, shit. I had a. There's a little like um there's a very small clickable like water main door thing kind of under where that guy and his son are standing. You can actually go in down there and you enter on the basement level. Yeah, so I get up I got up on the top of the building and then I had to split from Kim because only one of us could go down. And then I went down into the thing and that's how I was able to find the waterway to let Kim into the uh, building. Wait, so how'd you I don't remember being able to yeah. get up by climbing at all. Oh, oh, there was a ladder there. I do remember that, but it's like this ladder looks yeah, rickety yeah. as shit or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's I went what for I did. it. Yeah. But there is a there is a skill Gotta check that's straight it. up like teleport up there. <laughs> so <laughs> mm. I want to try that again. Um like a crack in reality or something. Yeah, I don't know. But like I guess I think this might be where s- some of the linearity of the game comes in because when you look at the quest log, I think there's some stuff that like only triggers once you've done a certain other quest type thing. And at this point, when I was finding Ruby is where all of my missions started tapering off. Yeah, that's true. Um, if you remember the game, the rhythm of the game is like your log is typically pretty full of just tasks that you should be doing and looking out for. Uh, but during this time. Uh, you start noticing like, okay, I don't, I'm not getting any more side missions. Here. Yeah, all kind of something big you. must be happening. Yeah, and then you get kind of funneled into like your only thing left is like find Ruby or whatever, and the, all your time is kind of spent just searching for her. And th- and I think the other thing is because she is across the waterway, the lock. Uh, you have you have to do that, and then when you come back is when the mercenary stuff happens. Right. Yeah, that sounds so, right. I think you have to do that in, you know, the for the purposes of triggering other stuff happening. I think it's like a big event in the game that you need to like trigger in order to do the next thing. But okay, before we start talking about um before we start talking about the shoot talking about Ruby. I want to That's all you got? Um yeah, I mean I I guess I don't really know what else to say about it. I think her. I mean there is a lot to be said. I think there's like some thematic uh, resonance kind is. of of her when you compare her to like Everett Claire, where it's funny because mm. I think in the game it kind of I mean we talked about a little bit before about again like kind of like the way the idea of power kind of manifests in the game. Um and I think Ruby's really interesting because you don't it's like it's surprising that you don't actually see her for so much of the game, but like everybody knows her. 
So there's this kind of idea that she's this kind of omnipresent force that actually has her hands kind of in everything and is kind of like, not like manipulating, but in some ways is definitely controlling kind of like the whole world of the, the it's like the, the situation the game is taking place in. So you mentioned the lorry driver, um, classy, all the Hardy boys. Uh, I think she kind of got some of her fingers in the stuff that's going on with like that drug trade type stuff. Um, like everyone kind of knows her and respects her and she's kind of controlling stuff. And I think there's this really interesting parallel between her who is kind of forced into the basement of an abandoned building to hide. And I think even when you talk to her, she's kind of scared. Uh, at least that's what my like conceptualization or like empathy skill said was that she felt trapped. And then on the other side, at the highest point in the game, you have Everett Claire, who is like ostensibly in charge, but not kind of actually in charge. It's a little bit of coercion. He's not actually have control of people. He's kind of more like bartering for loyalty. So these two kind of models of power that seem to exist uh, both in parallel, but then opposition to each other, both kind of like spatially and how they're represented in the course of the game was a dynamic that I thought was like really cool because it's just showing kind of two models of power that are both affecting the same sphere, but whose ramifications and realities are different. Everett Claire projects this kind of outsized persona and like maybe he's not really in charge at all and has no idea what the hell's going on. Whereas Ruby's like a little kid scared in a corner, but actually controls everything. Um, I don't know if you guys picked up yeah, on that you, or have other thoughts as well. I didn't pick up on that, but I think it's well observed. I think stuff like one thing I did notice is um, uh, what's her name from the the uh, corporation who you talked to? Joyce. Joyce. Um, she's on that boat. You know, she represents the interest from uh, the external interest from away, but she is just on this dock the entire game on a boat that everyone says is very nice and sticks out because it's so nice right. um, compared to the surroundings. And she's kind of like ephemeral. You get the sense that she's always just about to leave, that she doesn't really belong to the city, that she's just sort of there. Yet she has so much power. Yeah, she's like same physically as, and like metaphorically kind of floating around the problem. Yeah. And the same thing with kind of, you know, and with her is the association with the mercenaries who, or the, uh, or they refer to as mercenaries, like the strike breakers, the, the kind of like goons, yeah. essentially, who are just, the idea is they are going to arrive pretty much whenever, you know. Um, and so I think the idea in this game that there's, like the internal, like local sources of power above and below everything that's happening. But then you also have the greater powers that are just sort of, you know, just out of sight and everyone feels their presence, even though they're not actually there. I think it's kind of interesting the way all that sort of stuff manifests. And then it also dovetails into the ending of the game, right? With yeah. the fact that there's a sniper watching everything. Um, and phasmids that are also kind of like there and not there all the time. Like this game does, I think, a really good job of implying just sort of that there are these various structures that are kind of always present, but you're not actually interacting with them all the time. And then even with like the mind stuff too, like everything is just, there's, it does a good job of showing here's the surface of what's happening, but also it wants to show you there are all these other things going on constantly at the same time that 
the characters are mostly aware of. And so I think like what you're saying about Ruby being below is, I don't know, it fits in well with how that stuff functions. I remember thinking about, um, well, just this reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you guys are big Elder Scrolls lore heads, um, because I am. <laughs> uh, but like there's this, I think this is probably borrowed from another like real religion, but uh, like the the worldly plane of like the Elder Scrolls games is called like Mundus or something. And the implication with all of like the Daedra and Adra, who are like the dark and light gods, essentially, that um, I mean, this is full on like Greek mythology stuff, too. But basically that like the the world that we live in is kind of like the playground of the gods. So they'll come in and kind of like fuck around just to do whatever and then like zoom out. And this isn't obviously the same, but there's a similar themes here where there's both people who are always in power and will always look over or abuse their position. There's people who kind of like find themselves in power and there's people that kind of fall out of power. Um, I think, I mean, the talking about the sniper is really interesting as well because it's, it's literally this omnipresent person who is like overbearing or viewing the world at all times that you don't even know exists. Like there's never a moment of kind of zooming out when you're first exploring like the shore of Revachol and you see the sniper looking at you or something. There's, it's interesting now I haven't started playing a second playthrough though, but it, I wonder how that would contextualize like any time I spend near those two guys playing bocce ball, you know, knowing that there's basically a sniper literally staring at me the whole time. Um, and especially so, right? Because you're a new person. It's a person that looks at normal stuff. And so you become kind of the focus of a lot of this power that is like both tired and kind of bored. And so the energy kind of bends towards you in a way. I was going to say, and this is maybe just something to talk about another time, but I just thought of it when Kyle was mentioning, uh, Greek gods and Greek mythology too, like, that this game is called Disco Elysium, which is something I think that over time has just kind of like lost the significance of what yeah. those two words actually mean. Well, and the like, old name, um, No Truce with the Furies. Yeah. No Truce with the, F- with the Furies is also mythological, right? Yeah. They're both Greek myth. Yeah. So um, I forget exactly what the Furies are, but the. Uh, Interesting angle there. But Elysium is like the, the, I mean, this is a simple way of saying it, but it's like the Greek heaven, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Amber, that's where uh, Russell Crowe goes at the end of Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, when he's I think that's a reference to Gladiator, now that I think about it. It's So why do you think they named it after Gladiator reference? Such an interesting question. <laughs> um, I want to say... We kind of have to talk about Classy right now because All right. Ruby was romantically involved with Classy. That's right. And she was the one who was getting really pissed about the mercenary kind of walking in and kind of taking Classy away too. She got pretty pissed about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think brings in Classy's role as kind of an enigma she's one of the few characters in the game that you don't really know much about by the time you're due you know 
even Harry, the the human can opener, <laughs> can't figure out what's going on with Classia. He gets duped. You don't know who she really is. You don't know what her actual name is. And she's kind of manipulating everyone in the game behind the scenes. Um, you know, there's all these stories that different stories about her that people believe. And at the end of the game, like, they'll, you know, her version of the story will be different from someone else's, will be different from someone where else's. And then you go to talk to her and, oh, you're like, oh, yeah, she's chill. Like, she's just talking with me, opening up and all this stuff. And when you start going into your suspicions about her, you're like, ah, I mean, she seems fine. You know, I, I shouldn't question her too much. And she also, like, uses taboos and like some of the lines that she oversteps as like a means of protecting herself like there are certain subjects with her that you feel really bad about breaching and um she kind of uses that in some ways in her as a means of like manipulating other people she knows what people will talk about she knows what they won't want to talk about she knows how, how they feel about her what they'll do for her and she uses all those to her advantage I think the thing about her is that she knows there's something in there where she doesn't try to go overboard with it. She go she tr only goes for like what she can get away with and and I think that's like her means of survival, but I don't think she does it because she like enjoys it or loves doing that because she's like a bad person. I think she just uses that as her means for survival type thing. But she ends up bringing down so many people in the process and she ends up obscuring a lot of this quest to find the person who killed this mercenary because of that. Well, she just wants to survive, right? Isn't that her whole thing? No, exactly. That she's yeah. exactly. Hiding, essentially. Yeah. So everything she's doing, it's like exactly what you said. She's like she's kind of positioned in a way where you think the game's gonna make her like the noir femme fatale kind of character. And she is but the femme fatale often is working towards something beyond just not dying. Whereas the Colossia thing is kind of, I, for, I forget the exact everything about it because her backstory is also comes in that moment where Harry confronts her. And then I think she also gives you maybe three or four different names. Yeah. During that point, right, keeps like right. saying, no, this is my real name. No, this mm -hmm. is it. And different things about her backstory. And all you really know for sure is that she came to hide, um, that she's in trouble. And that's why she takes off by the end of the game. And that she was sleeping with the mercenary probably for an advantage, but she also maybe saw something in him. And same with Ruby. It's like you can't tell what she's telling the truth about and what she isn't. And But the whole thing is she's just trying to keep people from <laughs> getting her killed ruby does seem like i mean every character pretty much in this game feels like sympathetic toward other human beings like even ruby when she's using her uh freaking torture device on pale torture device on you is like showing sympathy um she even says she like stuck her head in the machine before right, you guys right, came right. down so because if she was going to put some someone else through that, she should at least like see what it's like. Um, and she ultimately does let up on the machine. She like lets you kind of have your say and talk with her a little bit. So 
but I think um, it's that kind of obscurity that Classier kind of thrives in or is forced to survive in that makes her such a threat in this game. And it's an evil and it's an interesting way of like positioning evil or I guess just bad things that happen in the world. Um, a lot of the the evil that manifests in this game is not like evil as we know it, right? Where this, this is just like people trying to get by and doing what they have to do. And it, the way it manifests in the final character Dross is kind of interesting too. Um, but it is t- also interesting that Classier is actually the first character you meet yeah. in Disco Elysium, right? You like come out of your come out of your room and she's just standing there i feel like she really yeah. like got under my skin in a weird way yeah i think i mean in, in part it feels like um like some of her decisions or like her, how you treat her feel like the most sort of i say on the nose but i don't mean that like disparagingly but some of the most on the nose decisions you make is what kind of cop you want to be she's kind of got the most sustained like should you take her in sort of thing that I mean, I can't really think of anything similar in the game where you're like really being a cop to someone or you you can like be a cop and you get to choose like, oh, I'll be nice and kind of let you fly by or like I'll put you into my car to like take you to the station or something. Um, And so I feel like for me, I was much nicer to her. And at the end of the game, like there's this there's this part of the game where I feel like Everett is like talking to you or something about. Oh, what was it related to Everett? But basically, like, Classy like, spins, like, so many tales where I think at one point the game tries to, like, I don't remember who's speaking to you, but they try to, like, drop onto you, like, oh, actually, it was like this, and she was this person. And uh, I just, like, was totally lost. I was like, wait, what's real? <laughs> I don't, I forget, yeah. like, what was the thing that I was supposed to latch onto? So, I mean, it was, it was effective. Like, I definitely felt totally like twisted by her and didn't know what I was even supposed to think about her by the end of the game. Um, which is like, you know, not satisfying, but also satisfying thematically. And yeah, she definitely feels like one of the sort of one of the ones that got away in a weird way. It's like, could I have said something different that would have changed this or like, was it always going to happen like this? Or like, what did I actually miss? Like, what was the thing that, what was I missing, you know? And there's so much stuff I was missing, like even thinking about like all these sorts of other little unturned leaves in the game that I didn't actually end up getting to touch. It's like, surely there was something there with Classy. Like there was some some step or skill check I could have passed and I would have made sense, but... I don't think so, right? Like in the end, like that seems like it's very intentional that they want you to feel that way. Yeah, I think she would have always left, but I wonder if there was something that else that would have happened there if it wasn't like prompted by you or if it didn't seem like But you that. can like take her in, right? Um, There's like a full on option where it's like Oh That's we, true, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't I do I, it. I, yeah, so. I didn't do that. I know either. that's the thing, she got you. But you also like yeah. do you want to actually get her in trouble? Well, no, yeah. because isn't the implication too that if you bring her in, she's potentially She'll dead yeah die yeah basically is what the implication or she, is. well the thing is that's because her implication if, right which is the hard part yeah so it's yeah. A, and so then you have to wonder but it does seem like the only thing that you can say is true about her is that she's trying to figure out how not to get killed mm-hmm. right 
but then that's exactly what kyle's saying too and there's like this really interesting thing when you go and kind of have that confrontation with her before ruby where you're thinking she's not going to tell me the truth and you know she's going to lie and you have some evidence but also she still manages that dialogue plays out where she still has completely kind of outmaneuvered harry you leave feeling like who knows what was happening there and it's interesting too the way that she is sort of like in the center of everything and she kind of takes advantage of people's obsessions with uh like in ruby's case with her um and with the hardy boys like with their sense of justice with their idea that they're going to provide justice that the cops won't the government won't um because they have this whole thing where they believe and maybe this happened but it probably didn't where they think that she was sexually assaulted by the the mercenary who was killed but actually she was sleeping with him yeah like on her and then it's it's like she that's the whole whole, that is such a messy thing by the way and because it's like at first you're like whoa are are they trying to be like like frame her as being you know someone who uses her sex blah 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 but then it turns out that like really it was like titus framing it that way who who was like saying that she had been assaulted for his own means and stuff like that and like there's so many layers to what's going on here around such like a touchy subject for something like this i think Um, that's one of the aspects of the game where they are i think very intentionally saying they want you to be uncomfortable to be very uncomfortable and especially like what kyle was saying about because i was thinking when he, he was saying this like in your role as a police officer you don't want to be the one who's saying well i don't believe this woman you know yeah or, and you also don't want to go too far if you're trying to play as a decent person i know you can also be a piece of shit to her but i imagine a lot of people who are playing it are are thinking these things right. uh, and the game seems like it wants you to just see but i don't know to what end necessarily which is maybe something worth criticizing like what the point is of bringing up a kind of like a sexual like a a rape allegation essentially right yeah in this game and having the kind of takeaway be well you can't trust any of it but i don't think it's that simple either as saying that that's the point i don't think it i don't think that's what the game's communicating i wonder if it's like i think it i think i wonder if it's like circumstantial because you get that tape the uh the door gunner mega mix oh right Um, oh yeah which is like him kind of like saying sexually aggressive stuff about i don't even think he says classy by name in that but this is the mercenary before he dies um and i feel like i feel i don't even know if titus believes it but in some senses he wants he wants the ability to like have a reason to like fuck with this mercenary because even if like Klossy is in a totally consensual relationship with him, he doesn't necessarily like that his power is being challenged in a city and like effectively challenged. Like these guys are, they have all this crazy armor and we, I know we will probably, we'll see if we end up talking about the shootout, but like they're basically one mercenary can totally deck like five or six of the Hardy boys, this whole squad. And so that's like a challenge yeah. of power. 
And so in recording this guy who's like saying this kind of aggressive stuff, he can start to kind of spin a narrative that seems like the killing was justified um, and claim it. And I think in like kind of a savvy way knows, I mean, the world, even if the world of like Disco Elysium is like, can be very racist, I don't perceive a ton of sexism in it. Like it's actually kind of cool how, how like developed and like strong quote unquote strong. So many of the women characters are in the game where it doesn't feel like, like the idea of women, like being equals in society and Disco Elysium is just a fact. Like there's no, I don't perceive a lot of sexism stuff in that way. Um, that is a good point. Yeah. But so I, so I feel like, but I think the, the moral of the story is that I think Titus saw a way where his power was kind of being challenged in the local arena and used this tape. Oh, oh, I know where this is going. Basically, he he I can imagine Titus also being someone sympathetic to the idea of believing women when they say things like this. And so he knows that both him and the society he lives in aren't necessarily going to question the validity of a woman's like rape complaint. So if he can spin a narrative to say that, oh, like she was sexually assaulted by this guy, he's doing that because he feels like he'll actually have more of a pool in his local community than like making up some other reason where he's like mad that someone else is on his turf. For my own clarification, the reason why they hid this stuff was just so that they could use, so that they could A, um, use the, basically split the blame of the murder between the the, tight, the Hardy boys, right? So that there wouldn't be any one person that was like strictly responsible for it. And they could kind of like disperse all that between them all. And since uh, the area was not like super heavily policed, it wouldn't be that big of a deal was yeah, the reasoning I'm, behind that. Right. If I'm remembering right, all of this stuff comes up when you go to talk to them and they say, essentially like, you're not going to be able to arrest all of us for the same crime. And Joyce even says like, as much, that, right. She's like, I need a name. She's like, come and give me a name yeah. of the person who yeah. did it. Yeah. And then you like spend what the first half of the game or so just trying to find Everett because he's the only actual figurehead that you can maybe get something from. I think the idea was that this stuff comes up when it's just saying we all killed him. Right. This is something we all did as a group. So it's, you can't take any one of us. It's a, it's an interesting idea of justice in Disco Elysium because I feel like there is almost no such thing. Like people have given up on the idea of justice in this world. Um, People just turn their heads at any kind of crime or wrongdoings that occur. It doesn't seem like there's much in the way of like real retribution in this world. It feels like Harry and the police are the only people who, quote, care that like someone got murdered. And anytime there's like some crime or anything being committed, there's no like there's no sense that anything is happening to kind of correct that or fix it in the future or that anyone really cares that it happened to begin with. And, and that's something you see with the body on the boardwalk, right? Where you call it in and they're like, don't. And even Kim, who's like the most likable character in the game is like, we just forget about it. Just leave it there and have someone else figure it out. Mm -hmm. And you have this body hanging out outside of a freaking hostel hotel place for like 
a week and it's just sitting there and nobody cares like yeah there's a dead body out there there's so many things happening in this game that are just wrong and unjust that that nobody really cares about because of this cynicism that's kind of entrenched itself in this world and that just like exists um on one hand i totally hear what you're saying but on the other hand i'm just thinking of like a totally different narrative that i just kind of came to my head about this that um like the the rcm our revolutionary citizens militia are kind of like volunteer police or something but they're not really it's not really police right. and so one thing that's actually interesting about the like the world of revishal and this sort of like blase or uh like dis like dispossession almost of like the scenario or the, like the living situation of these people is that it almost also kind of posits what a world without police would be like like there's still kind of like overarching forces that are controlling stuff but i think we we think from like a very i mean especially we're, well, i guess reed's canadian but we think all from like a very like American-centric mindset about the sort of like over-policing of our general like society and everything. It's like everything has to have an exact action, reaction. Like it's not quite, um, what is it, like eye for an eye or something. But uh, I can't remember who said that. Hammurabi? It's not like quite like Hammurabi, but it's very much like if, if someone like transgresses in our society, we expect that there will be like a police reaction to that just at a baseline. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's interesting to actually see a different model. Again, this is we brought this up in a previous podcast, but the sort of ways that Disco Elysium both kind of mirrors our reality but also is outside of it and it's very subtle about these things such that they almost appear invisible. And I think this is one of those things where maybe it's actually the case in this world that this sort of ever-present idea of police that we have in our world doesn't actually exist like if you didn't have police and there was a dead body that was like hanging far enough outside your house so it didn't smell bad but it was still like weird like what would you how does that how do you react to that if you don't have a police force that's like trying to always fix everything and like can also obviously fuck stuff up a lot like who's the person to clean up the dead body like, I don't know. It's probably, it's like, they're, it's like humans acting a human way. Like everyone's kind of like nose goes and like no one really fucking cares because everyone hated the guy anyway. So it's, it's like, it's sort of like a similar, but like slightly different reality. And it's, it's interesting to think of that specific reaction that you're talking about as sort of one of the ways that Disco Elysium isn't actually like our world. Like it's, we can look at that and be like, that's weird. But in the scope of the game, it's like, at first it's kind of off-putting how how kind of like boring the reactions are that people have to this thing but over time like i feel like if i was to start playing this game again and i saw a dead body hanging out like i might have a similar reaction now where it's like well you know someone's gonna clean it up eventually but like i don't know like we're not all sitting around here rooting for the police like it just shit just happens and this makes me think too i think that's why this game is somewhat difficult to read from an interpretation standpoint because you're used to metaphors that like relate one-to-one to something and so you can say well what are they trying to tell me with the way that this exists but since this game and i've said this in a previous episode but i want to take it a little bit further which is since this game doesn't map one-to-one with things that we know and experience in our own world how do we tie that into like something that is you know that 
they're trying to say with this game you know what are what kind of things are we supposed to be gleaning from this conceptualization of justice that they're putting forward and this different policing universe and the way that all of this story unfolds partially as a product of the way that the police force works in this world you know what are we supposed to take from that i think there's like two things i thought of right away with this sort of thing is the idea of how authority functions and um i mean this game obviously is a lot about how you, you make a society that functions right this is um set in the aftermath of an enormous war and i think that's one big part as well is that the city is still uh still pockmarked from bullets and shells and uh it's still kind of like picking itself up and there's the sense in it that um you know that this has just happened and these people are trying to figure out how to live and maybe don't have the highest opinion of the representations of authority that are going to come into places where they've been left to their own devices to figure to figure things out there's something very you know it's it's not just there i think you could look at like uh interwar uh, like Germany and, and France and lots of different countries, but something Central and Eastern European in nature about the idea that these kind of communities that were maybe on the outskirts of cities that were decimated. And then, you know, post-World War II, you know, this game was made by, uh, I think, largely Estonian team, or at least the yeah. leads are Estonian. Right. Um, and, and you read about what life was like and, for people in Central and Eastern Europe after the war ended, uh, whether they were occupied or were annexed by the Nazis or the Soviets during the war, and then when the Soviets were taking over and the transition of power left a lot of people in confusion and misery. And then you have the people who are coming into these communities to, you know, sort of quote unquote, assert order, and they're coming based on maybe on orders and on principles that don't make sense to the people who live there. So in that sense, like when you have to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of this also with like Polish history, because that's maybe what I'm most familiar with from the region. But you look at the people who are in these towns and they were, you know, there was mob justice because that was justice. And there was death on the streets and there were black markets functioning because people were trying to essentially figure out a way to keep living right. when there was death and destruction all around them. But then the other thing I think about this too is like any, I think it's like very universal. I just thought of that kind of stuff because it's an Estonian led team. And I think also the game looks very uh, sort of French, uh, 20th century French. But there's also the fact that it's like a pretty common thing. And I imagine this happens a lot in America as well, but in sort of under-policed communities where horrible things happen and the cops aren't around. And when they do come around, they're not necessarily going to provide justice as much as they're going to tie up something that's, you know, annoying whoever needs to answer for it. So when you look at 
say, you know, murders of of First Nations women in Canada is, is a big thing. Um, and you look at the government response to it, uh, people were not being policed in the way that you, you think of policing as being keeping order in check and making sure that if someone commits crime, especially violent crime, they're punished. Police were coming in after the fact to essentially check a box and say that we came right. and we did something. And I think like the reactions from everybody and when they see Harry and the majority of them hate him just based on the fact that he's a cop. And it's like the same thing where they, I don't think they believe he's there to actually do anything that's going to help them. He's just there to, you know, maybe the best thing he'll do is arrest the wrong person and haul them off and they'll never see them again. So it's just like all of that kind of stuff, I think is sort of the, the way the game thinks of justice, like, on a general scale as just something that is hard to, it's critical of mob justice and it's critical of like organized justice systems as well. I don't know if that made sense. I was just talking for a long time. It does. And you bring up a good point that, uh, you know, this is connected to, you know, his history and things that have occurred in the past, just not the way that we currently conceptualize them as like, me personally as a like an american player of this game and then probably you as well read as like a canadian dude living in 2020 i mean just like i think just to your point to read especially in this sort of notion of rebuilding there's i don't think there's like a ton of stuff in the game that's kind of forward looking really like a lot of it feels like everyone's kind of living in the present like moment to moment like in the, making ends meet or mm-hmm. like looking in the past a little bit so you don't have a lot of people, maybe besides like Everett Claire, who are really thinking five years down the road, what does it mean to be here? Um, and I think just to, to that point, like it's easy to forget that a lot. I mean, this sounds so like I'm 12 and this is deep, but it's easy to forget that a lot of like the societal structures we live in are structures. And if they get broken down, it is not nece- necessarily the case that those same things will mediate themselves especially when you inject like human opinion and like wants and needs into that system. Um, and like mob justice is like, is a, is just the same way, like a social system as like democracy and due process. It's, it's a system that can emerge. And uh, like, if you don't have the ability to build a courthouse or something, like maybe that's easier and, and better serves your needs at the time. Um so just to that point and kind of like the sort of lack of justice doesn't imply that there's, you know, not enough police in the area. It also kind of implies what you're talking about, which is that people are just trying to figure out what it actually means to be just in this system. Um, but also people don't really care. It also bolsters that whole vibe of this game, which is people who are kind of detached who are used to being screwed over by the system, who are used to things not working out in their favor and yet are still kind of like yearning for there to be something more um, Mm -hmm. and who want justice, but have just kind of given up on it, you know, deep down when Harry does help people and when he does do things for others, you often do get that kind of response of like, Hey, you know, thanks. Like you, you actually helped me, even with the the um the widow whose whose husband died on the boardwalk she you know you're not able to really comfort her but she is appreciative towards you that you kind of 
you you went out there and did some work and you cared about this thing that happened when nobody else kind of did and it's not mm-hmm. a way of vindicating harry as a character and i think they make very they take a lot of care not to be like he's a good guy but i think it is this kind of like hopeful tinge in the world of like someone cares someone's doing something whether it's for the right reasons or not um people this is something that like people do kind of yearn for and want out of their world is like for and it goes into what we had talked about in the last episode of like wanting meaning wanting there to be something more some sort of reason behind something that happened even if it is painful um and to tie that back to classier is something that like one of the big instances in the game where you don't get that and with ruby as well where it's like you don't get that because she kills herself she cuts off all of the potential dialogue trees you could have had with her even though she was such a great character in the eyes of so many people in this world yeah and i mean that's all part of i think i think we talked about this before like the humanity of this game it feels very like there's something that is like very clear about what you say there it sounds so I don't know, like basic or something kind of like too simple when you say, or cold when you say like, there are no more dialogue <laughs> trees with her. My gameplay was <laughs> cut know, short. Because, no, but, it, but at the same time, it's like within a system that models. And I think part of what makes this game so exceptional is the way it models, tries to model the depth of different people um, and their contradictions and, and, the different facets of their personality and it's like with ruby it's like oh that sucks you didn't you didn't uh get to know her you didn't get to really figure out what makes her tick and the same thing with Claudia, she's gone you you lost the possibility to try to cut through the bullshit with her and figure out who she is on like a truer level and it's just you know the game and this all ties into with What's his name? The the diehard Close. communist sniper. Um, the idea that this guy has lost touch with humanity as being something broad and kind of beautiful and difficult that he just has seen. He's boiled everything down to black and white. And yeah. well, and to take that theme even further, as you're saying, I think at like a meta level as well, when we think about rpgs and you you think about like a lot of um interactions modes of interaction within video games like mario is based on the joy of like jumping halo and call of duty and destiny are based on like what it feels like to shoot something and have it explode in front of you like there's so many interactions that games tap into and i think the main one in disco elysium is like digging in deeper into this world of like that being the core interaction of what feels good about RPGs is like over uncovering more information and finding mm-hmm. like the truth behind the truth behind the truth behind the truth. And that is often the most kind of satisfying, rewarding interaction that you get in RPGs, right? If you think about yeah, some of like then- the best stuff that you've seen, like Easter eggs, stuff hiding be- you know, in Metal Gear Solid, when you f- find out that like putting a cardboard box on will have guards walk past you. It's like these little, oh, there was something here that I didn't realize was there before. And, you know, the, you know, Disco Elysium is very acutely aware of that as, as the player that you're always looking for, like what's hiding behind. 
and it uses that stuff very deftly i think to uh to kind of tie in with its themes of harry the human the human can opener who needs there to be more purpose and and it ties that in with like themes of our generation of you know needing there to be meaning behind this kind of empty shell of a world that we're living in in the aftermath of you know x y z events out there Mm -hmm. i i think just like on a very basic like systems kind of note to that stuff you're saying and it came up again i think didn't the three of you talk about it on bad end as well like directly comparing this game to the other worlds yes i think so you see that pop up again and again Mm -hmm. and when i was playing the outer worlds which i is not a good game um (laughs) i was thinking why am i still playing this and i was thinking oh because it's a really good checklist because there was some like lizard brain thing where i was just going ooh when i when i cleared my list like a fucking to-do list (laughs) yeah and when you think about that you're like well that's not a good way to spend my time i could check things off a real to-do list or be like write down like organize my desk that will take two (laughs) minutes and then check that off um but i think it's like it's not accidental that what josh was saying about the joy of this thing being digging into these characters and sort of getting more information and learning about who these people are in ways that's often kind of surprising like this game and the witcher 3 are both games that have been uh really really well received and people talk about them as as being uh frameworks for kind of how rpg should work going forward and it's interesting that they both have the same approach of no the idea of these games i mean the witcher does have a lot of you know check off these boxes kind of things going on in it but they're both unlike a lot of modern rpgs which have kind of like been ubisoftized of right. being checklists and these ones are about okay here's some people here's a setting get to know them we're going to like entrust us because after you do it a few times you'll know that it's worth giving a shit and spending the energy listening to these stories and seeing that these people are not i don't know and it's it's like seems silly almost to say that that's remarkable but it's it's like really it's like it seems like the secret of rpgs is just have like actually have good writers (laughs) like write your games yeah uh (laughs) like people who care about yeah i mean the funny the point about the to-do list is interesting too because disco elysium does have a quest log but i don't know if you guys had the similar experience Mm -hmm. but like i felt like i never looked at it like maybe if i was like kind of maybe lost and i was like trying to figure out what to do next but it's just it really inverts the model where a lot of kind of modern rpgs are much more like something like an mmo where it's like here go do your 10 fetch quests you got in your main city and then come back cash it in for like a cool gun and then go back out and do it again and like Disco Elysium, it's it's like core proposition is kind of just realized and done so well where they don't have to tell you what to do. It's like go talk to people, go explore. Like there's no yeah, there's no there's like quests kind of nominally, but it's more of like a it's almost more it's instead of like a to do list, it's more of like a I think a little bit of how um like Outer Wilds is kind of quest log works where it's more like don't forget about this thing where it's like hey someone said this thing here mm-hmm. it's here so you remember that they said it it's not like go here and find out what this person said about this thing 
Yeah, it's it's almost more like a like a table of contents or an index or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you were saying like, how often did you look at it? And I was just thinking, well, I looked at it. If I didn't play it for a day, yeah. I looked at it to think <laughs> this is what I wanted to be doing right now. Yeah. Or like toward the end of the game, that was when it was like most checklisty because I was thinking I want to you like wrap it up, make sure I yeah, and I want to make sure I I go and do the things that in case I forgot about them. Yeah. But yeah, it's a better version of that. And with that, I think we should wrap this episode. We did not get to all the subjects that we wanted to talk about, but <laughs> look, that's just more content that's for y'all. More episodes. Um, yeah. Well, and we will get there. So thank you for listening. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting places and, you know, I can count the amount of things that we still have left to talk about on um, one hand, even though we could talk about any one of these things for like three episodes straight. I feel like we could I, do I, I, this we podcast talk- could be like 50 episodes long and each episode is a single character, but we're, we're not going to do that. Probably. Yeah. And I really talking about this really makes me want to keep chugging along on my second playthrough because man, I, there's so many things that I want to, you, you guys just reminded me, you know, talking earlier about, well, what happens if you do this with Classier? Did any of you open that, um, that like bunker? No, on the, on the I have beach? no idea what's in there. Me either. Oh no, I never did. What with, the like, fuck the big, is that? Like, it's like a huge yeah. hand-eye coordination check or something, or like a physical strength, physical instrument, I think is what it's called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh what's in there i don't know i don't know something's in there maybe it's like the fucking guy in the shipping container that i thought was impossible to open i did look at the cast list and i do think that i saw everybody i think so i don't know if it's another person but if it's okay that's the crazy thing is like you add one more person to the game and that's a huge deal right it's like yeah it's not like side (laughs) characters are like fuck offs like yeah having just one other character that you might have missed could potentially be huge which is crazy. Mm-hmm. They did get those Chapo guys to do quite a few voices though. So maybe, <laughs> maybe move like... over Norman Reedus. <laughs> All right, folks. This has been the Superculture Review Savoir Fair, a Disco Elysium podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We are a part of Superculture Network. If that was not made sufficiently clear. Uh, Superculture Network also includes Bad End Podcast, which Kyle and I are both hosts of, along with Katie McCarthy. And then it also includes Bullet Points, the podcast, the website, the zine, all that stuff. Um, go check them out at bulletpointsmonthly.com. Fresh off a new redesign. Check that shit out. Uh, we are on Twitter at Superculture Rev. And uh, you can follow us there. And we can, you know, get back to you and talking stuff but it's on uh, spotify too yeah we are now on spotify Spotify. yeah it just got us on spotify we should be on like the google uh index of podcast or whatever if you want to check us out there Uh, i'm gonna work on getting us uh distributed in more places over the coming days so you should be on pretty much uh all the big podcasting platforms soon um but thank you again for listening and we will talk to you next week later see you guys (laughs)